History, it's the nine days just before we come to Tisha B'Av, which this year happens to be on Shabbat. Um, so we aren't not, we are not going to be fasting our 24 hour fast on Shabbat. Um, it's going to be starting Motei Shabbat. So as Shabbat goes out, so the fast begins and we do a 24 hour fast exactly like we fast on Yom Kippur. Um, and this is a time where we kind of lay low. Um, it says that our muzzle, our um, our fortune, so to speak, our, our our luck, our our ability to 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 be successful is not is not uh, the opportunity is not as great. And so we are in a state of mourning. We are not eating meat. We are not drinking wine. We are not French freshly laundering clothes. Um, we are an um, we are a nation in mourning right now, but nevertheless, we still learn Torah. We still, uh, you know, see what God wants of us. Particularly during this period of time, people learn Torah to do with the Beit Hamikdash, with the temples, and its construction. We are going to be delving, um, as we have been, in the Book of Genesis, and we are going to be starting. Um, chapter 2 But before we do that We're just going to go for a quick Ad break You're listening to Robertson Adol Kozilski Welcome back And uh, we're going to be starting chapter 2 um, Of Genesis We managed to finish up The creation of the world Hope you found that interesting And we are now going to be Looking at the seventh day of creation And really it's 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 a a word we shouldn't say the seventh day of creation for nothing was created, as we know the seventh day of creation symbolizes Shabbat, um, and I want to read to you uh, the verses that are connected to Shabbat. We're not even going to get through all of them today, but I'm sure that our listeners out there will recognize the words because the first. Four verses of chapter two that describe the seventh day of creation, in fact, becomes the sorry the first three verses, um, becomes the paragraph that we use when we recite kiddush, when we do sanctification of the wine on Friday night. It reads as follows: Finished were the heavens and the earth and all their hosts. On the seventh day, God finished all his work which he made. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work that he made. And God blessed the seventh day. And he sanctified it. He sanctified it, for on that day he rested from all his work, which God created to make. There's a lot, a lot of mystical and uh, very deep connotations to be understood from these verses. But we use this opening verse when we make Kiddush. We actually start 
with the first two words of the previous chapter, Yom Hashishi, and it was the sixth day. And then we start, Vayichal, Yom Hashishi, Vayichulu Hashemayim, Vayaretz, Vacholtz, Vayam, and we join it into the verse that, the verses that we read now of chapter two. Now, one of the reasons why we do is because when we start our meal on Shabbat, it is a time to announce, to proclaim, to understand that we have now entered a different type of creative process. And I think that before I get into the nitty gritties and just going back a little bit into some of the nuances of the verses, um, I think we need to put a specific myth to bed. And that is the myth that, you know, on Shabbat we say that we have to rest. Now, traditionally or logically, people will come um, come at you and say, well, you know, for me to rest, that's a pina colada on a beach chair with a palm tree and the most exquisite looking beach and me relaxing, uh, maybe reading my Kindle listening to some good music and strolling up and down the beach. What is it that Shabbat actually brings to the party? Or you could go and argue, for me, resting is getting into my car and taking a long drive into the felt uh, somewhere far and, and having a picnic out there. But if you look at the laws of Shabbat, we're told that we cannot do them. So we need really to come to a, a position where we, we define the concept of rest Okay, what is it that Shabbat is stopping us or putting a, a, a barrier around a boundary and saying you cannot do and that is called rest in Hebrew, in, in Jewish terms, not in the rest that we understand. For me, again, a person could go and argue for me to rest is to have a cigarette. But on Shabbat, we know that we cannot light a fire. We cannot ignite the cigarette. So what is rest? And what does it mean that God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had made? So to understand all of this, we've got to understand that the whole concept of Shabbat is based on the principles of work that were take that had taken place in the time of the building of the Mishkan of the tabernacle, there was this portable shul, this portable temple that we carried around with us, and the rabbis identified forty nine different modes of creativity that we used in order to create and and manufacture and put up this tabernacle, whether it was uh, winnowing or it was weaving or it was lighting a fire or it was erasing or it was writing. One can go up and have a look at all the 49 melachot, the 49 categories of work that the rabbis identified as creative work. Now, the secret here is the word creative. Torah is not about just ceasing from work as we understand it in the, the, the colloquial sense, you know, me not having any work is sitting on that that beach chairs sipping the pina colada. It's not about that. It's our um, our ability to engage the world in a creative manner in order to create change in the world, to manipulate the world, to use everything that we have in the world for the better. What happens on Shabbat when we adhere to the laws of Shabbat and we stop work? And uh, if you saw me physically, you'd see that I'm waving my hands and putting that in, in, 
in inverted commas. When we stop our work, it does not mean that now I'm not going to carry a, uh, you know, a 500 kilo sofa on my back. It's not about that. It's about me taking a step back and stopping the creativity that I utilize in order to make a change in the world. And these 49 milachot, these 49 principles of work are that. When one desists from them, when one stops writing, erasing, um, lighting a fire, doing all of those things, what one is doing is one is stopping one's creativity and allowing one to enter into a space that is, that, that, that is rest, that is restful. One, one is stopped from engaging with the world on a practical level. And that is the beauty of Shabbat. And that is the rest that we, we, we experience on Shabbat. And many, many times for anybody out there who's not keeping Shabbat, I can guarantee you that if you put yourself in an environment where Shabbat is kept, albeit it might feel strange, it might feel awkward that you cannot go for your phone, you ca cannot get into the car, you can't go to the shops or you can't take that long drive out into the felt. If you keep Shabbat according to the way the rabbis have given us the paradigm, again, based on the 49 um, work ethics of the tabernacle, you will feel like you've been transported into a different place because you disengage from the world, the stress of the world, the, the movement of the world, the, the kind of like the chucking on of the world, and you enter into a place where you actually have a lot of rest, a lot of peace, a lot of connectivity, uh, connectivity to yourself, to your family, to, to the people around you, to, to, to the world around you in a, in a most profound way. And this really is the essence of what Shabbat was all about. It's not that God needed to rest. It's that the creative process of the world, the world stopped creating and expanding. It entered into a world of being instead of doing. And this is really the magnificence of Shabbat. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are studying chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, um, that describes the beginning, the creative process, so to speak, of the seventh day and creative here of a different nature, a, a creation of being as opposed to doing. And as always, I invite your comments. You can SMS on 34519. You can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, do you keep the Shabbat? How do you find it has it changed your life? Do you want to know anything more about the Sabbath? Please be my guest. I, I look forward to your interaction. Now, let's go back a little bit um, and look at the verses themselves, because what we have over here, when we open up chapter 2, verse 1, we have the words, that the heaven and the earth and all its hosts were finished. Um, and the rabbis come to teach us that everything in the world, whether it was on land, whether it was on sea, they were all created in the six days, each in its own own proper time. And from this time that the world ticked over from day six to day seven, nothing new was 
formed. So we had a tremendous amount of creative process that was happening in the first six days. The seventh day, it stopped. We're actually told about a non-believer who once came to one of the Talmudic sages and said, prove to me the authenticity of the Shabbat. Now, this is quite an esoteric response. Uh, the Talmud tells us that the Talmudic uh, sage went and showed him a river called the Sambation. Now, there is quite a lot of argument about where the Sambation is. Um, on a much deeper level, many people hold that it is a, a force. It is not something that we, we understand physically that it's a river as we understand a river to be, but rather a creative force. And it says he showed him that this Sambation during the six weekdays, it, 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 it flowed with like a torrent. It, it threw stones high in the air, and it was quite a volatile um, pool of water. And then what happens on Shabbat, it rests, and the stones don't move from its places. And this is how he proved to this non-believer the authenticity of, of Shabbat. Again, um, as I explained, I don't believe that he went and showed uh, this non-believer a a physical river. Um, it could be. Not that many people really understand where the Sambation is. Um, but it's more an idea that there is a creative process. There is something that happens during the week when we indulge in this world. And when Shabbat comes, it rests. No stones move from this place. I guess it's the best described that we go from a doing into a being. Now, one of the questions that has been asked, and uh, there's many, many explanations to it, I'd like to again just share with you one insight because it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, if God is omnipotent, if God is able to do anything and everything, why then could God not have created this world in a single instant? He could have. He just had to do it. He just had to say it, to do it, and it would have happened in an instance. Everything that happened in the six days could have been consolidated into one, one, one instance. Okay? And in fact, there is one opinion, and I've discussed this earlier in my earlier talks, which you're able to get off the podcasts, that one opinion, uh, one rabbinical opinion holds that God did create the entire world in an instant, and all that happened during the six days of creation was that God placed um, these creations in its various places, but no creative process happened. Nevertheless, on face value, um, and the way we live our lives is that six days of the week, we are working, we have a seven-day week process, one day is Shabbat. So why was the world created in six days, not seven days, not more, not less? So the reason given amongst the Kabbalists is that the world was destined to last for 6,000 years. Each day of creation contained microcosmically that which would happen macrocosmically for a thousand years. And so we are mimicking um, uh, the, the creative process that way. So the first day of creation mimics the first thousand years. Well, rather the thousand years mimic the first day of creation. The second day of creation would be found in years 1000 to 2000, etc., etc. As we know, um, for Jewish people, we, um, we 
are in the year 5,778 from creation. So we're actually at an Erev Shabbat stage. I mentioned in a podcast earlier that if you take the 24 hours of the day and divide it by 1,000 years and then divide it up in hours, etc., etc., we are on the cosmic clock 20 to 1 on Friday afternoon. Again, go back and uh, look back on the on the podcasts, and uh, there is an entire discussion about it. I would like to give another opinion today, though, that explained why this world was created precisely in six days um, and not more or not less. So as a base, the six days alludes to what will happen in each particular millennium, and let's just see what happened in the creations of each day and how they played out in each millennium. So what do we know? On the first day of creation, light was created that was followed by darkness. And our rabbis teach that the light that was created on the first day represents Adam, who was an enlightened, perfect human being. And as long as he was in the Garden of Eden, he he took the cake. He was the most excellent thing in all of creation, and he was the very light of this world. But we know that that didn't last for too long. He sinned. He was expelled from the garden. And then darkness began to set in. His his son Cain was born. He brought murder to the world. And then the generation of Enosh began to practice idolatry. And all of this happened in the first millennium after creation. But one of the things that we do see is that if you go and look At the first day, you look at the account of the first day of creation, go back again to the verses that we studied, you will see that the word or, the word light, is found five times, while the word darkness, choshech, is found three times. And this really suggests that in the first thousand years, there was much good and little evil. In fact, it was a time of goodness, if you go look at all the generations um, just before before we get to the flood, you will see that they lived unbelievably long lives into the hundreds. I think Metoshelech was 900 odd years. Okay, Noah was only 656 years old when he got the commandment to build the ark. They lived unbelievably long years, healthy years, years where the 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 earth brought forth abundance. So we can see here that the balance between good and evil, between light and darkness, was and a ratio of five to three. The second day represents obviously the great flood, which took place, the flood of Noah that took place in the second uh, millennium. And that is uh, one of the other reasons why, again, we know that in day two, the second day, we know that God did not say the words kitoiv, that it was good. Because the fact that there was no good suggests that it was a time of evil. The whole world was destroyed by the flood, and that's why we know and, again, revert back to my previous podcasts why, for example, you shouldn't start a job on a Monday. You shouldn't uh, – you know, that's why we have the Monday blues, just simply because that day does not have the word kitov in it. Also on that day, it should be noted that a firmament was created that formed a separation between the upper and the lower world waters. And our rabbis come to teach us that that is an allusion to Abraham because Abraham too was born in the second millennium and he 
he formed a separation in the human race. What was that separation? It was the separation between those who believed in the one true God and those who did not. And it was really through Abraham's intellect, right? He, he, he came to it on his own that he disproved all the false beliefs of the, that were popular in this day and he taught the greatness of God. So here we see the, 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 the playing out in the second millennium. The third millennium we know, um, which is the third day of creation, was the, the word Kitov is actually said twice. And what happened in the third millennium um, itself, the first was that the Jew, there was the Jewish exodus from Egypt, okay, that occurred in that millennium. That was a very good thing. That was the Jews coming out to be formed into a nation. And the second Kitov, the second it was good, uh, represents the giving of the Torah that took in, took place in the year 2448. I'm again talking in Jewish terms. 2448 relates to 1312 before the Common Era. As well, we know that on the third day, God had told the earth to give forth to fruit trees and all sorts of vegetation. And they had remained in the ground until Adam was created. And only then did they emerge. And this too alludes to the third millennium because when the Jews were in Egypt, although their population increased dramatically, they, was, they still remained at a very degraded state. When they received the Torah, that's kind of like where they sprouted and the Jewish people came into being as, as we know them today. The fourth millennium, the fourth day, we know that the sun and the moon were created um, and, and, the, and, and all the cosmic stars, etc., etc. And so we're told that the fourth millennium would be an age when Israel would have its own kings and it would enjoy unparalleled peace. And it was also a time of extraordinary wisdom representing the heavenly spheres. But more particularly, if we look at the two great lights that were created, the larger light being the sun, the smaller light being the moon, we see that during this millennium, the year 3000 to 4000, um, there was a further revelation of, of the great light, so to speak, of Torah learning, which came through the smaller light of the sages. So we saw um, the emergence of what we know today as the oral Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Midrash, etc., etc. So we have the greatness of the of Torah learning of the Torah Shabbatav, the 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 written Torah, the five books of Moses as we know it, and then we have the Torah Shabbat Peh. We have the oral Torah, which embodied Mishnah, Talmud, Midrash, and so they mimic the sun and the moon. There's another. Um, analogy here and that is that the two lights also refer to the two temples that were built in Jerusalem during this period the first temple was built in the third millennium but its main greatness was achieved in the fourth so it came it became as bright as the sun um, and we know that the first temple the people that lived in that period of time experienced the radiance of the divine presence. Um, they had also Ruach HaKodesh. They had divine inspiration. It was a time of many enlightened prophets. There was also the ability to, to connect to God through the breastplate of 
the Kohen Godel of the high priest called the Urim Vitumim. So that represented the sun, and we then know that that temple was destroyed, Tisha B'Av. That's the period that we are in now, that uh, we're going to be mourning um, this weekend. And then um, the second temple later was built, and that um, then represented the the moon and the reason why it is of a smaller stature is because the advantages of Ruach HaKodesh, of divine inspiration and a whole lot of other features of the first temple did not exist in the second temple. We're also told that the stars that were found on, um, in the, on the fourth day represented the kings and the members, the Anshay Knesset HaGadola, the members of the great assembly, they all flourished during the fourth millennium. So here again, we see a very, very clear analogy between that which was created on the fourth day and that which blossomed in that millennium. The fifth millennium, years 4,000 to 5,000, okay, the fifth day of creation we know um, is the, the creation of the fish and other animals that landed up swallowing one another, and the fifth day parallels the time where firstly the second temple was destroyed and the nations of the world began to dominate each other. Okay, so just as animals and fish that swallow one another were created, we start seeing all the various con- con- conquests of the Romans and, 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 and further on down, down, down the, the, you know, down history. And very interestingly, um, Rome, their, their insignia is the eagle. Isn't that fascinating? It's the eagle. The eagle was created on the fifth day of, of creation. Um, and men, even today, many, a f- number of nations use the eagle as the emblem. Also, we had the great dragons that were created on, on the fifth day. And that suggests that there would be great world powers that would dominate Mankind, and we saw those two. We saw the Spanish, um, and we've seen um, the, the 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 Romans, and we've seen all these great empires that would take hold of mankind altogether um, and hold him for quite a while. Then we enter into the sixth millennium, the sixth day of creation, where um, at the end God creates Adam. And Adam, as we spoke previously, was the epitome of the creation, the raison d'etre of creation. And he was there because God created this entire world for him, for us to creatively engage with the world and change the world. Um, And this really is the millennium that as we come closer now to the seventh day of creation, which means at the end of the year 6,000, as mentioned, we're in the year 5,778, so we're not very far, 200-odd years left. What is going to happen is we're going to be seeing the dawning of the light of redemption. And uh, we speak about it a lot. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, for those who are avid listeners of 101.9 High FM, I have a corner every uh, little 15-minute slot with Howard Feldman every Tuesday morning where we discuss are we living in messianic times. 
And indeed we are because we are starting to see the dawn, the Erev Shabbat, the eve of the Sabbath, as I said, on the cosmic clock. We're 20 to 1 in the afternoon. So if we follow this entire thinking that each day of creation mimics or brings forth that which happens in the millennia, then the seventh day, which is Shabbat, will parallel the world to come, um, a time of complete good, a time of tranquility for all those that are worthy of it. Now, here is an interesting thing. Um, It says the first four words that we introduced um, today's discussion being the first four words of chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Finished, finished with the heavens and the earth and all their hosts. So the word vayechulu has a shorish, has a root word, chala, okay, which means to end. But it also means kala, which means a bride. And The suggestion here is that heaven and earth were adorned like a beautiful bride and it heralded in Shabbat. There's much more to say. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kozilski. Welcome back. And uh, we are discussing the first two, three verses. I think I'm still stuck on the first verse, actually, of uh, the description of the ushering in of Shabbat. And just before the break, we went and said the word vayechulu, um, finished, also has the shorish of kala, of a bride. Now, it is of no, um, no uh, inconsequential happening that how do we welcome Shabbat at Shul? We actually all recite the program, uh, the program, listen to me, the poem, Lechadodi. Lechadodi was penned by Rabbi Shlomo Alkabatz. He lived in Tzfat between the years 1505 to 1584. Anybody who has gone to Tzfat may have had the merit of um, being at his gravesite. And he penned this a beautiful, beautiful poem that is very, very famous. Lechadodi likrat kala penei shabbat nekabla. Come, my friend, lechadodi, come, my friend, likrat kala, let us meet the bride. Penei shabbat nekabla, let us greet the face of the Sabbath. And um, he basically draws a most beautiful analogy with the fact and the, the the fact that when Shabbat comes in, Shabbat is like a bride. And there are many, many customs and many laws that surround the the the, the saying of this um poem in particular, but in greeting Shabbat altogether. We're told and, and um it's it's taught in the oral Torah that Erev Shabbat, one should have a hot shower and one should cleanse oneself, one should adorn oneself, and one should put on special garments for the evening service and not worship in their weekday clothes. And when we greet the Shabbat, what we should do is we should wear our best clothing just like we'd be greeting a king. Now, we call the Shabbat a queen, and um, just like we would really be on you know, all spruced up and ready to to meet 
uh, Queen Elizabeth Lahavdil, uh, a physical monarch, so too as Shabbat comes in, we greet it with honor. And that why it says, Vayichulu HaShemayim Va'aretz V'chotz Va'am, that the Shemayim, the heavens, the earth and all its hosts were Vayichulu. They started to greet this seventh day with an awe, with a respect, with a dignity that um, should also come along with us. So this is, this is quite an amazing thing. And to understand that while Lechadodi might be something, you know, that we just like to, uh, to sing and it's, it's, it's kind of like just a well-known part of the, the Marif service, know that it has many, many, um, many uh, connotations in connecting with the ability that we go from doing into being. Now, let's just also go into understanding uh, the period that ushers in the Shabbat. Okay, it says, Vayichal Elokim Bayom Hashvi'i Melachto Asherasa, that God, on the seventh day, God finished all his work which he had made. Now, this is a bit ambiguous, okay, because surely if we are resting on, 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 the, on the seventh day, then it should have said that God rested on the seventh. It says that God finished his work. On the seventh day, and this ambiguity, this ambig- uh, ambiguous expression, um, ask, has a lot of rabbis asking, "What is going on?" So, the rabbis go into an explanation that when it comes to God, God knows the exact split second where the sixth day finishes and the seventh day begins. Unfortunately for us as human beings, we're not completely zoned in. On that, we cannot file that down to a point zero 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 microsecond. And so the rabbis made a ruling that one needs to observe Shabbat a short while before sunset, while it's still light outdoors, because then we are sure that we are going to be giving the Shabbat the correct dignity and the, 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 the correct respect it deserves. And we learned, I think, two or three podcasts ago that there, in fact, is a no man's land time um, between sunset and darkness, which the rabbis call Bain Hashmashot, where there's neither day nor night. It's between the two lights. Um, the rabbis actually, in, in, in the Talmudic times, try to work, work out that time, that period, they worked it out in terms of walking. They, they worked out that it, it takes – that banish mashot is a time that it takes a person to walk 1,500 um, paces. It's like about – just less than a quarter hour before nightfall. If anybody sits again on a beach and watches sunset, as you see the sun dipping below the horizon, you will see that it's – it's light and slowly wanes for at least another 15 minutes until it's completely dark. In order to maintain the dignity and the respect for the Shabbat, the rabbis went and said that um, we need to incorporate that as part of the Shabbat and start the Shabbat even earlier. And the, the most accepted practice is to start the Shabbat 18 minutes before sunset. So when you look at a Jewish calendar and it says Shabbat starts at, that is generally the 18 minutes before. 
Um, it needs to be said that obviously now in winter, um, if you look at the Jewish calendar, you will see that it is 18 minutes before sunset. If you go Google weather, whatever, you'll see the actual date of sunset, time of sunset. You'll see that the rabbis have made it 18 minutes before. In in summer, however, this is particular to the South African community. The Beth Din has um, made a ruling that, albeit that the sun sets much later, the sun set. The sunset could be at seven o'clock at seven thirty. We still bring the community brings in Shabbat at six fifteen, just to regularize services. One one is able, and it is a um, complementary thing, and it is a meritorious thing to bring in Shabbat much much earlier. In fact, it says that one who brings in Shabbat much earlier, um, he 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 is blessed with the tranquility. That Shabbat brings. So it says if a person adds on to the Shabbat, bringing it earlier, God adds to his tranquility. Anything subtracted from Shabbat similarly, um, attracted away from the, from, 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 from man. And so the hour before Shabbat, the preparations for Shabbat is an extremely precious time. It's a, it's a time of grace. It's a time where one should already be ready for Shabbat and spend the time in contemplation of what one has done and um and repent and and look at 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 what you have achieved in the creator your creative process in your ability ability to engage with the world and do any reparations very interestingly we're told to be very careful to pay the shopkeepers for things like meat and wine that we buy for shabbat okay um and that we should say say put aside money every week so that we should have enough to pay for 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 the shabbat because we need to accord it the best um, accorded the honor that it deserves. So a person receives the Shabbat and, it, and begins their observance at least a quarter of an hour before the twilight, which is half an hour before nightfall, which translates today in modern terms to 18 minutes before, uh, be, 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 before sunset. The question still remains, though, why does it say that God finished all his work on the seventh day. Surely God rested too. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion today, and certainly we'll be discussing it for quite a few sessions thereafter regarding um, Shabbat. But to answer the last question, how does it say, Vayichal Elohim b'yom hashvi'i mikom that God um, finished all of his work that he had made on the seventh day. So the rabbis come to teach because God knows exactly when the sixth day flips into the seventh day. In that twilight zone, which we make as part of our Shabbat, um, God was still creating. And in fact, again, revert to a previous podcast, God created a lot of very interesting creatures that were neither here nor there. They were neither... Creative and non-creative, they were they, they, they were of of a strange quality, um, and I'm not going to get into it much more because I have um, discussed it. God did those things on uh, during during the twilight period, as discussed, because God knew Himself when that time actually completed. So the ambiguity is to tell us that God continued creating in the twilight zone, whereas we as human beings have. Refrained. 
to end, we know that in the Shabbat morning Amidah, the silent prayer, we say of the Shabbat, Chemdat Yamim Oto Karata. You called it the most cherished, cherished of days. And this is um, found really nowhere in the Torah, but it is an allusion to the to the expression where it says vayichal elokim that the word kala means finish but also means longing means it also means yearning that this is the most cherished of days it says that more than the Jews have kept the Shabbat Shabbat has kept the Jews that this is probably one of the hallmarks of 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 the Jewish people and that is that we abstain from the creative um, engagement of the world on the Shabbat. And of course, um, without saying, we know that the Shabbat project that our chief rabbi formulated, I think it's now five years ago, um, has gained incredible momentum and, um, and he has encouraged people to taste what it means to be a human being, not a human doing. We will continue this discussion next week. In the meantime, I wish you all a good week. May it be a peaceful week. May it be an easy week. Kala that we should have a easy fast. And more than that, we should not fast at all. Um, and that we should see the arrival of Mashiach and the rebuilding of our temple speedily in our days. Have a fabulous week.